G'day guys, welcome back to the Noob Spirit Podcast. Today it's Western Australia Episode 2, another prominent Western Australia Spiro. It's Vin Rushworth, or Captain Vin. Uh, I'll fill you in on a little joke about that in uh, just a second. But uh, Vin is an awesome bloke. Um, he runs a research vessel for uh, fisheries in Western Australia. Um, he's tagged stuff from lobsters to humpbacks, um, you know, huge sharks, you name it. He's kind of done it. He's also a records keeper for uh, Australian Underwater Federation, and he's shot some amazing fish over his time. I'd really encourage you to follow him on Instagram at Vin Rush, V-I-N-R-U-S-H, uh, really cool guy, really funny, uh, self-deprecating, uh, does not take himself too seriously, that's for sure. But before we get to there, uh, and me explaining the Captain Vin joke, uh, a couple of quick shout-outs. Jake from Broome jumped on as a patron. Now, patrons actually paid for my entire trip to Western Australia. They are the legends that continue to put outboard fuel in the Noob Spiro boat. Uh, excuse the poor analogy, but uh, 50 people continue to just um, support the podcast on an episode-by-episode basis. They do that at patreon.com forward slash Noob Spiro. And uh, there's three sort of tiers you can do it at. Jake's jumped on from Broom. So, hey, mate, he says, um, he says uh, it's about time I... Uh, put my money where my mouth is, and he said, I've listened to just about every episode, so I thought it was time. So thanks, Jake. Um, a podcast review from Anika in Australia says, Best podcast, a must-listen for all Spiros. As a partner of a mad keen Spiro, I've absolutely loved listening to this podcast and learned all things spearfishing. It's given me so many tools to support Tim in the water, have a better understanding of risks, which lead to do, led me to doing a freediving course to feel more comfortable again, and this has been... A, Oh, and I've been binge listening over the last six weeks on the road. Thanks a heap, Shrek. Keep it up. So awesome, Anika. Thanks for the review. They always go a long way. Um, Jake gave us a bit of a shout-out on at Noob Spirit on Instagram. He says, uh, long story short, I quit my job and headed to Europe twice while walking down the street in Florence. Come across some young Italian blokes with their spearing gear. Um, this got me to start researching dive shops in Ireland. That's where I came across your interview with Fiagas and uh, about all things sort of spearfishing in Ireland. And uh, yep, and then he just hooked into it. And basically, he's uh, going to give us a rundown on where he's at. So love these sorts of updates. Thanks for that, Jack. Um, also, I had a quick message from Matt asking about spearfishing in cold water and if we had any episodes available for sort of chatting about dealing with cold water. Um, mate, a recent one from Chris Adair from Bottom Dwellers was pretty good. Um, also, Daniel Mann's got a couple of cracker videos about how he deals with cold, cold water because he, he really feels it. So jump on Daniel Mann's YouTube channel, go and watch his episode. But also, Chris Adair, Bottom Dwellers uh, on the Noob Story podcast. Can't go wrong there. Hey, today's episode with uh, Captain Vin, um, he was sort of making fun of um, a lot of Americans who um, we – they use the title captain if they are the captain of a boat or a ship they do their um their their, their tickets and stuff um it's generally included in their title uh being australian and kiwi we sort of um, like to teach, take each other down a couple of pegs and uh if you call yourself captain probably in australia or new zealand culture it means you're taking yourself a bit serious so anyway while we were talking about this i told Vin that I was going to call him Captain Vin. So that's where the inside joke comes from in this episode. But hey, let's get into it. A care of Patreon listeners. Here we go. Captain Vin. 
I can't wait to get into today's episode brought to you with proud partner adreno.com.au. The Noob Sphere podcast has been partnering with adreno.com.au for more than 100 episodes and these guys are awesome. They have uh, huge spearfishing mega stores all over the country. You can shop online or in store. Use the code NoobSpero whenever you spend more than $200 and you will automatically save $20. That's right. Use the code NoobSpero online or in store when you spend more than $200 and save $20. I love these guys. I remember the first time I brought a spear gun at adreno.com.au down at the Wollongabba store and Adreno have been a huge part of the excitement that I have about spearfishing. Check them out at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpero to save. Neptonics was founded in 1996, making trigger mechs in a barn in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Solid gear that works was their founding principle and it still rings true today in every pull of a Neptonics trigger, in every snap of a Neptonics band, and in every whiz of a Neptonics spear gun reel, singing with the power of another big fish. We had a great deal. You can use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off anything and everything at Neptonics.com. It's solid gear that works, equipment you can rely on. Save 10% off any order at Neptonics.com when you use the code NOOB10. in these parts of the world for a while you're a, a researcher for fisheries as well and um looking forward to picking your brain mate yeah looking forward to it um you also have the the dubious pleasure i guess of being the records keeper for the auf uh which must be a, a tough gig at times yeah no uh, i took that on maybe about eight years ago off yeah. greg pickering who'd been doing it for a lot of years and uh I don't know, it can be a bit taxing at times. He'd probably done his dash, done a really great job for a long time, but was mm. ready to hand it over. Um, yeah, uh, I find it interesting with the science background, fish ID, um, it's sort of, there's a bit of, that goes into it in terms of distributions and maximum sizes and bits and pieces that sort of scratch my fish nerd itch yeah. on a recreational level. Sometimes when you get submissions, do they go to the museum or do, do, do the fish get broken down and further research gets conducted on them? And yeah, totally. We've had, um, we've had a few different specimens go off to the WA Museum. Some of the Queensland ones will line up. Uh, Mick McDade, the Queensland Records yeah. Officer, really, really enjoys yeah. uh, casting them and oh. interacting with the museum curator over there. And yep. Yeah. Uh, some of the biggest stuff. I've put through work and just sectioned otoliths just to have a look at age out of curiosity, just yeah. on maximum size. Otoliths, they're an interesting thing all of their own. How do you age an otolith? Is it, the, the, I understand it's a bit like a tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, there's a little fluid-filled cavity under the back of the head, right in line with the spine. Crack that open. There's two primary otoliths. A lot of fish will have smaller secondary ones that are more difficult to deal with okay um but yeah they'll take them set one in resin mm. and then cut it with a fine bone saw and put it on a slide and just yeah count the rings and it'll give you seasons that's been in the water far out yeah so what are you cutting it with uh they've got a super fine little wet saw down in the lab okay yeah um and then they mount it up and read it so tell us from one of the species that you've had a personal look at, what was something really interesting, crazy almost, that you um, discovered? Can you think of a species that shocked you? Um, uh, we've put a couple of otoliths through from some of the big jewfish a few of the guys have shot. Mm. Um, and it's sort of well known that they'll last out to 40 years, um, but most of them are about 20. 
What about what about Baldies? Because like I'm 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 living in Brisbane now. It's my first time over here. Uh, I've got a bald chin groper on my hit list. Um, have you aged one before? And like a five six kilo fish, which I understand is I haven't personally. Okay. Um, work well of they'll have bucket loads of data on it, mm. but it just hasn't. Uh, I haven't been that interested in a five kilo baldy to be honest. Mm. <laughs> so is that a, is that a new to the west coast kind of thing? No. Some people sound like they like I'm eating them. I'm very interested in eating them. I hey. just, I haven't taken it a step further. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, cool. So your fish, your fish nerdery only goes in specific directions. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So it's like, a, it's probably an ego thing being a captain. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's all ego. That's what I'm about. <laughs> no, I didn't pick up on any of that. Ben, you've been very down to earth and interacted uh, with a lot of people at a lot of levels of spearfishing for a long time. So um, being the records keeper, I wanted to discuss with you the submissions process mm. and maybe if we had some... Because um, a lot of people, I think, are curious at one time or another at maybe having a look at a record. Yep. And I think um, specifically planning a species to target, potentially. I don't know if it's that deliberate normally, but um, at least having an idea of where to find the records... And, and maybe potentially researching one to target yep. might be on someone's agenda and then the process of how to actually submit it. Uh, so I'll, 15 I'll questions a, in one. Yeah, 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 good. Yeah, I'll do a submission. That way I can have a beer and just, you know. Submissions. Uh, so to claim a record, you have to be a member of the AUF, but you don't have to be a member before you shoot the fish. Uh, it used to be a bit harder on that front. Since I've taken over, we've slid that way. I'd like to see every great fish shot in Australia eligible to be put in. So if you shoot a, if you shoot a record size fish, join up at that point. There's a social membership that's like 25 bucks or something. I was going to say, I joined up the other day because I wanted to compete in a comp and it was $125 for the annual membership now. Yeah, the insurance component's yeah. pretty wild. Mm. Um, but like I pay it because I'll do the comps periodically. Uh, yep. But I totally get it if people aren't, if that's not their thing. Uh, then that social membership, you know, that's 12 months. You can claim as many records as you want within that. Um, there's a 10 buck application fee. I spend most of that on cardboard and postage yeah. to send out your certificate. Um, but yeah, biggest, biggest one is to get the application form and don't leave any blanks. Okay. Just, it, it's pretty step-by-step. Step. Uh, a lot of the time... IDing the fish isn't necessarily a big deal for a lot of the species people are dealing with. Mm. Um, but I need really good photos because it's surprising you'll have species which people think it's one thing and it's actually a sister species or something a little off. But, yeah, it's... Uh, Some of them are very close too. Like, um, oh. I was, remember last year I was over Southern Great Barrier and Tim Nielsen holds, a, I think it's like a two-spot um, perch or something, but it looks like a mangrove jack. Yep. And, I mean, once you see it and you have a good look at it, you go, oh, yeah, that's completely different. But upon – you need that closer examination and you need a trained eye to look for different features, I think, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, the, the tropical snappers um, and a lot of the, the emperors, like in the spangled family, the leatherinids, um, really close. Like, yeah, there's plenty of stuff that I'll look at and be like, I think it's that, yeah. but I'm going to have to go get the books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Grant's Guide comes out? Yeah. Grant's guide and you got more? Yeah, Grant's is good because it's photos um, and, and photos are nice. A really good starting point, because I knew you'd go to that, was um, there's a few different books. If you pick up uh, 
either marine fishes of tropical Australia and Southeast Asia, yep. uh, that's an Allen, or Barry Hutchins has a, like a Southern Sea Fishes one. Okay. And they've all got a lot of hand-drawn plates, but there's a lot of fish in there in family groups. And so it's nice to look at them side by side. Mm. Uh, Grant's Guide's not bad, but probably doesn't cover as much ground. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the websites, Fishes of Australia. Yeah, that's getting better and better. Just like, it's, that's got to be, if, unless you're just perusing for fun, if you're trying to figure something out, mm. that'd be the go-to I'd recommend. Is that a... Is that, are they starting to crowdsource some of the images and information? Are they? Are they? Because from what I understand, like Red Map, and there's a few of these sort of collaborative yeah. software efforts. So the government's slowly getting better at some of this shit. Like, we're slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Government's terrible at everything in general. So, I can I can see why you want to work there. It's the gravy train. Yeah. But um. Well paid. Yeah. <laughs> but um. But like harnessing the power of a crowd, mm. like in terms of sourcing images for things like Fish ID, seems like a no-brainer to me. Yeah, Red Map's not bad. The other one's iNaturalist. Yeah. Um, and I spend a fair bit of time on that. Okay. Uh, and there's, like, a lot of your leading ichthyologists are on there. Um, I might get something that I need confirmation on. What, what was that name you said? Ethiologist. Ich, ichthyologist. Ichthyologist. And that's a... Fish. Just... Oh, that's a fish specialist. Yeah. And purely about identification or...? Uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Taxonomy generally. Okay. Yeah. Um, but... Most of the museum curators uh, and a lot of you know, the leading ichthyologists are on that. Okay. Uh, like, yeah, I'd probably, up until a few years ago, I'd often send an email mm. with three different people asking, what's your opinion on this? Yeah. Uh, and now I'm more likely to just put it on iNaturalist and tag a couple of them. Oh, wow. Yeah, and just get them to have a look that way. Uh, another problem with a lot of these, uh, like, marine books and stuff is that... Um, if you're new to spearfishing, it's a terrible way to learn to ID species. Sometimes the fish are taken out of the water. Sometimes they're illustrations. Um, it doesn't capture body language. It doesn't capture movement. It doesn't capture yep. loss of colour at depth and all the rest of it. Um, what do you like with a young new spear approaches? You, how do you point them in the direction of ID? Um, I think well, the books and the websites you best start, mm. and then if there's a species that you're particularly interested in, maybe go and have a look on YouTube. Mm. someone's taken some underwater footage um, of it that'll give you an idea of its swimming pattern and its behaviour and start to give you an insight. No one's done that with my target species like the Morwong painted sweet lips. No one seems to want to capture the footage. Just looking, you need to stop looking in the centre of the camera and off to the side. <laughs> <laughs> Down there. Next to the Red Emperor that Daniel Mann's shooting yeah, there is, is one of my target there. species. It's just yeah. off on the sand. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So they get this form and it's a little bit like submitting a tax return. You lie every second or third line yep. and make sure you boost that number up. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, make sure you've got zero honour. You don't <laughs> care about anyone else who's been before you. Yeah. And bullshit the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is there a bit of that? I bloody hope not. Yeah. I try really hard to, to sniff it out. Uh, you know, you've got... Uh, you've got a witness, you, you've signed off on it, mm. that it occurred, that it's occurred as per the rules. You've got a witness to the catch, you've got a weighmaster, and you've got an independent, independent witness to the weighing. Okay. Um, so if it's curly, like, I'm going to pick up the phone. Mm. Now, you, you, you brought up an interesting point, actually, before we jumped on, and you said a record actually has to be beaten by a fairly significant margin. Uh, yeah, for the smaller fish, yeah, 50 grams to be over. 
but if it's if it's over, it'll then be recorded as an equal record. Ah, okay. So anything that's over the existing mark, you're absolutely eligible to claim. But if it's not 50 grams for the small stuff or 100 grams for the large stuff, then it won't be the outright record on its own. Okay. Um, this thing was yours. Um, this 41 kilo. What's the record for cobia in Australia, out of curiosity? Oh, it's well in the 50s. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So, so despite it being 41 kilos, no not idea. even a record. Just a little one. All right. It's probably not in my league anyway. As we mentioned, painted sweet lip. That's probably more my jam. Um, so let's just say I go out, I shoot a 10.7 kilo painted sweet lip, best sweet lip of my life. Yep. Uh, I fill out the form. Who, who needs to be present again? Give me the... Uh, so you need a weighmaster yep. and a witness to the weighing and yourself at that point. Mm. And you need, unless it was a shore dive and you were solo, you need a witness to the catch. Okay. And is it anything like IUSA where you need like length and girth measurements and all that? Yeah, absolutely. So you need a photo showing the scale of the fish with something for reference, preferably not just you holding it up. You know, the old, the old boys used to just do it with a six inch boning knife, the fillet oh, yeah. knife on an esky. Um, a lot of people take the time to take a photo of the length. Yeah. And of the girth. Now we've got those big, you know, stickers Bra with yeah, the... Yeah, people have got brag mats and measuring yeah. boards and everything. Yeah. So it's rare that I don't get a photo with, you know, like a tape or a, mm. a scale in it already. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, nice clear photos for ID. Uh, you know, confirm the identification with someone. Uh, oh. You normally post that on a naturalist social media site and ID <clears throat> this, please. Yeah. Yeah, with a big spear wound in it. Yeah, yeah, so they that love everyone that. knows how sustainable we are. Yep. Yeah, um, that is kind of a fault with with a lot of newer spearers. They they're just not quite one hundred percent sure on a species, and they post it on social media. Yep. So I mean, we people hammer people like yeah. people get hammered for that a bit too much. But yeah, you know, someone will post up being like, "What species is this?" and mm. they'll get they'll get shut down pretty hard. And they might be like, yeah, but I knew it was in the right family. Like, yeah. I knew it was a cod. I, I knew that it was a legal species because it wasn't the protected ones. Yeah. So they, they were, you know, they were working within the framework pretty well. Mm. Um, and if it's like at least 40 centimetres or, or, or even more, then generally you know you're, 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 you're probably legal. Anyway, I, don't, I don't know what... Yeah, look, I'm, I, I've done it. I shot mm. something out here that I didn't know what it was and I didn't know because it was still a species that hadn't been properly described. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, every now and then they, you get a curly one. I see a couple uh, in New Zealand at the moment, particularly with the rising sea temps. They're getting all sorts of stuff over there now that they never used to get. Are you seeing a bit of that around here? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That. Um, well, that's a great example of that cobia of it. That's, I don't know, they, they very periodically wanted to show up, but, you know, it's 600 k's south of where it should be. Mm. Tell us about it. Um, what do you want to know? I heard there was a second shot. Yeah, there was. Yeah. Who was the second shot? Me. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Uh, I can't see any spear wounds in it. Did, were they? Other side. Didn't uh, punch through. <laughs> oh, really? Really, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's a big, thick fish. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was maybe a bit further away. Well, it was probably bigger than I thought. Oh, wow. Thought it was a little smaller. Thought I was a bit closer. Um, so, yeah, didn't toggle out the other side. But, yeah. Yeah, we were, we'd been exploring some deep stuff. Mulloway over here are uh, pretty elusive. We just haven't got the river systems for their larval phase. So, uh, you know, Shark Bay turns up a few, but generally they're something that the line fishermen do well on out in the deep water. 
but there's no headlands like the you know northern New South Wales and Queensland that like hold schools. Mm. Uh, they're pretty pretty rare. Uh, they're rare, so we were spending some time looking for them um, in some of that deeper stuff that the line fishermen chase them in. Uh, a few of us have been putting a couple of years into it, uh, and we were on a spot looking for those, mm. uh, which panned out well later in the day. Uh, Tom and Sam, the other guys I was with, got a nice mullow age. But yeah, I did first drop on this spot, um, missed the mark a little bit, was out on the sand and got clouded by a heap of big kingies and Samson. What an awful feeling. Yeah, well, everyone passes up on the sambos over here, but there's some, well, in retrospect, those yellow tail kingies were probably huge. Um, but then, yeah, that came waddling in from out the back and I couldn't help myself. They come off at the bottom like, like a puppy looking to shelter under you or...? No, no, he came in, came in midwater. Like if I'd been up on top, up higher and not looking side on, you probably could have mistaken it for a shark, but he just came in and had a different gait. Um, yeah, they move like, like, yeah. Yeah. Crazy movement. Yeah. They look kind of clumsy almost until yeah. you see them take off at speed and then you're like, oh. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, then he, um, yeah, he gave me what for. Yeah. I bet you he did, 41 kilos, Chief, was that what have buried you? Yeah, um, I was lucky probably because I was off the bit of ground I was trying to be on, so there was mm. nothing for him to brick me on. Um, did you hold it off the bottom? Yeah. I was sand though, so. Yeah, well, I think I did. I didn't feel it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but he was really, he was, he was good to me. Um, constant, constant tension or? Yeah, just big lazy circles. Okay. Um, fought, him, fought him a long way up, got him up to the sort of touching the shooting line and was him and Haran about a second shot, uh, at which point he found another gear and went back to the bottom and then had to redo it all over again. Far out. Um, but at that, yeah, one of the boys threw me another gun, stuffed the shooting line between my teeth, loaded that um, and put another one in him. And Sick. Yeah, that was that, it was good. So was he quartering in towards you when you shot him? Was it? Quartering away. Okay. Yeah. So he came in for a look and then he, he went, nope. and I was, probably wasting time trying to gauge how big it was. Yeah. Um, and then he turned side on and that would have been the moment. And then he just, I, I thought he would glide across me and give me a better look, but he started to quarter away and I knew I had to hurry up. And what, um, what's your rig for shooting? Like to take a fish like that, you gotta even to get a decent grip on it. Like you, you need some punch power, particularly if you shot it a little bit further away than you thought you did. Yeah, uh, I, I just roll around with a, 1400 conventional gun, uh, one of Barry's reels on it. Yeah. Like most blokes over here. Aussie reels. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of rig lines in WA. Mm. Um, I've noticed it, yeah. Nah, they're almost frowned upon. Mm. Yeah, you'll you cop a bit of grief if you put one on a boat. Well. Yeah. I asked Barry today because I, I said to him, um, uh, have you, do you wear a belt reel, Barry? And he says, nah. <coughs> and I wasn't that, isn't that ironic, you know? But I said, oh, well, what do you do when you shoot a big wahoo then and you're at the back end of your reel? Yeah. And like that thing would have taken, must have taken all your line. And then, um, so not, like often in Queensland, we'll have a, as you know, you, you'll have a float and a rig line set up, if, even if you're diving real guns. Yep. So you can throw it over and then hitch on and you don't have to worry so much. You've got another 30 or whatever yep. metres of play. So, but over here, it doesn't sound typical. He, they don't do that. Nah, Barry's pretty, uh, he's light. I've watched him like aqua playing behind Wahoo pretty yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'll get up and skip. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I, more prone to rip them off because there's a certain point where I'm a bigger 
object to tow around. There's a there's a niche market here then because if you had free diving fins that could kind of double as water skis, like Just that, that might be go. something. Yeah, yeah. Well, for the little fellas, maybe yeah. not your mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, like oh yeah, oh, that's another story. But um, yeah, it would take a fair bit to get me out of the water. I think. Um, Having said that, being towed through the water is, is a fair bit of fun. But the problem with these fish is, like you said, they they go down yeah. and then they try and bury you in structure. And some fish are unique for that. So you got it up, you got your second shot in. How soon after that? How, how long was the fight in total? Oh, you'd be better off asking one of the other guys. It felt long and it felt short. But uh, I don't know, maybe it was 10 minutes. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, got it sorted pretty quickly and, yeah, got a nice... Second shot in that pulled things up pretty quickly. Yeah, nice. And um, yeah. And eating qualities of a big cobia like this? Mate, that was amazing. Yeah. Um, I've still got some blocks of it now, but the belly meat off it was like, it's probably the most most marbled fish I've ever had. Yeah, right. Um, I haven't shot any big southern bluefin, but I've inherited a few gifts off mates who've come back with them. Um, and they're pretty fatty, but the, it was like bacon. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was great. Oh, wicked. I'm, I'm partial to a fatty fish. I don't mind them. Some people don't like it, though. It does seem to be like a, a palate thing. Um, yeah. When you think about characteristics of a, of a fish's eating qualities, like are you like oily, fatty, dry? Like how do you sort of think about it? Because the Japanese have added that umami that I still barely understand but I enjoy nevertheless. Yeah, um, but can you identify it? Not really. Like I told, I tried to pass it off on one of my workmates the other day with a, with a dried seaweed um, sheet, but yeah. he, he was not having a bar of it. So, yeah. But yeah, um, so high on fat though these ones. Yeah. Yeah. And anything else? Um, well, it's definitely not dry because of how fatty it was. Mm. Um, and Kobe is just, it's a good in between fish. You know, it's somewhere between your your demersals and your mackerel sort of. Mm. It's got a different quality again. But like, based on the mouth too, like they're eating off the bottom a lot, you'd have to imagine? Yeah, crabs. Yeah, so good diet. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. they're on the really good stuff. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. One of the guys chopped one up um, last year, a 30 kilo one, and I think it had 14 blue swimmer crabs in it. Far out. Yeah. That one must have had a few in it, but 41 kilo. Was it, um, was it no, fat? No, it had uh, what looked like a King George whiting. Okay. And that was it. Decomposed like? Yeah, you weren't going to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, far out. It's funny what you pull out of the guts of fish sometimes. Um, so, like cooking, what do you? What, how, do, how do you cook them? So, uh, being fatty, I, I'd imagine it'd go all right. Maybe on the smoker as well. Uh, yeah, it would. Yeah, I haven't smoked any of that one. I've smoked Kobe before. Mm. Really nice in the hot smoker. Um, yeah, did quite a bit of ceviche with it. Um, oh wow! Yeah, great. Yeah, um, American mate who lives over here from Florida. Captain? Yeah, yeah, he's a captain. Um, <laughs> he put us on to that years ago. Yeah. yeah they, uh, they really like it. You know, capsicum, just your full mix of salad stuff, all in with the lime juice. Nice. Um, did it as Kokoda, the Fijian version, where you put the like coconut ikamata. milk yeah, on yeah. at the end. Yep. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I like it too, yeah. It's, you tend to need to set it, unlike a lot of ceviche, you want to eat within sort of five minutes. Yeah. The coconut milk you can leave it overnight it seems to get better oh yeah yeah mm. well, i'm making it in quantities where i'm eating it for a couple of days mm. yeah. i didn't see a submission for the 99 spare recipes from you i'd imagine you'd have a couple of good recipes uh, i'm pretty amateur when it comes to the food stuff yeah yeah, yeah. i have a crack I, I enjoy playing around 
Yeah. But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put myself in the realm where I should be sending anyone a recipe. <laughs> Learn from the best. Adam Stern's courses at freedivingfamily.com are written and presented by some of the world's best freedivers and most experienced instructors. Lessons learned come from years of freediving and teaching at the highest levels and are now condensed and available for everyone. Go to freedivingfamily.com, use the code SPIRO and you get 20% off any course. Now there's Frenzel, Advanced Frenzel, Hands-Free Equalization, there's Mouthful and Deep Frenzel Equalization, even Bi-Finning Essentials. Get that finning technique right. It's the one percenters that make the difference in spearing and allow you to have more time on the bottom and you feel better even doing it. Go to freedivingfamily.com and use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Adam Stern's courses at freedivingfamily.com. Killfish with precision and power Sending shafts from a stable platform with Killshot spear guns. Made in the Florida Keys by Ed Martin, you're buying American-made dependable spear guns. Get $30 off any Killshot spear gun at killshotspearguns.com. Yes and amen, Nova. That's $30 off American-made performance spear guns at killshotspearguns.com. It says if they're in the shop or on the phone, they can cash in by saying, crikey, mate, or the Noob Spiro podcast sent me. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com, based in the Florida Keys. Function first, pretty design second. Penetrator's dual action water channeling rail provides more efficient action and similar fins by directing more water flow down the blade. This eliminates wobble, meaning that you get way more bang for your buck, for your energy buck. Visit penetratorfins.com, use the code NoobSpiro to save $25 on every pair, on any pair. That's correct, my friend. Use the code NoobSpiro to save $25 on any set of Penetrator blades at penetrator.com. Spearfishing's got so many different parts of it. Obviously, like you're heading to the interpacks. Yep. So, and um, I think you're going to be quite competitive over there, years in the water. Um, what's your approach? How much scouting time have you got? And um, have you work, started working out a strategy? Um, yeah, it'll be, there's a fair bit to see what the bottom's like there. Um, the island we're going to, Heva Oa, there's no fringing reef. So it could be all fairly steep. Atolls, like drop-offs? Yeah, it's quite volcanic, so it, you know, it looks like it might shear away. Um, I don't know whether it'll be where the sand line will be, whether that's 15 metres or 30 metres. Mm. Um, and that'll just dictate how much that steps out, how much coral there is. We'll, um, that'll change our plan a fair bit. But we've got, I think, about six days before the comp to mm. have a look around and get a handle on it. So. Yeah, wow. Pelagic species are so hit and miss. Like it's, it's like with a comp, like it's not like you've got eight hours to drift around and you know lay out a whole bunch of stuff. It's so it's like I guess it's making the most of reef species first, and then sort of fringing on that on the drop off, and then hopefully pelagics come in and you take some opportunities as they come. Or yeah, I think you'd, we'll probably treat them as incidental. You you'll do the things to give yourself the opportunity, but yeah, the demersal species will be or what will win or lose it. Yeah. Um, depending on which country's hosting it, they set the score sheet. Okay. Um, oh, so oh, I didn't even realise that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, when Australia holds it in Eden, they've got a, a you know a specific list of species that are in that area, but also that the local people like to eat. You know, the 
the Tahitians will have all the surgeon fish and unicorns on, yeah. which traditionally every Australian would just look at and roll their eyes. I, I love Sergio's. But they abs, like it's, it's yeah. one of their favourites. So What's it like in WA? Do people like them over here? Uh, I've met one guy here that eats them. Yeah, just sawtail? We haven't got sawtail. Okay. Yeah, no, I forget. I'd have to go look, look in the book. There's a large, predominantly black species we get okay. up in the northwest. Um, he reckoned that's great. Mm. I haven't got around to trying it. But, you know, we're often really spoilt with what you can take home. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, you're not looking for an extra. Yeah, I understand. I understand. And Spiros, I think sometimes because we have such an abundance of choice, like some of the species that other people may like, we're just kind of a bit dismissive. We're like, it's, you know, yeah. it's not in my wheelhouse. I don't know how to cook it. I don't know what to do with it. So I'm just going to... Just gonna go for what I always go for. A yeah. big a big ball chin. Where's that baldy? <laughs> how do you how do you cook baldy, by the way? And hunting. I mean, are they a difficult species to hunt? Is um, it find them and then Baldies are good because they show up like up on for these for the local reefs, not only on the edges, but like up on top of the weedy stuff where nothing else is. You can cover enough ground and you'll just come across one. Um, are they on schools, single? Uh, mainly singles. You might get like a few of them like loosely aggregated, but they're mm. not a schooling, schooling fish. Um, Do they hang out in threes? Like um, where, you know, you've got a breeding pair and then uh, another one that maybe takes the place of one or? Nah, not like, I don't think they're, they're not like some of those raspwitch or parrots mm. that have really tight groups. Yeah. They're, um, I think they're just spread out across that reef. Okay. But once you find them, think, think of your experiences with tuskies. Yeah. But dumber. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Love dumb fish. Yep. They taste better too. Ah, oh, they're good. Yeah, it's like the dumber they are, the better they taste sometimes. Hence why I like the old netted sweet lip. <laughs> they smoke up well, by the way. I don't know if it's because they're so oily, but yeah. um, like you, I, I smoked up coral trout next to one the other day and um, the sweet lip was better. Better. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But it just goes to show, I guess, like um, the right cooking technique for the right species. Um, okay, cool. Um, boating. Yeah. You've done a fair bit of boating. Yeah. Tell me about a boating fail where you um, oh. learned something. Yeah, best boating fail. Um, I was out with a mate, Kane, uh, and another mate from the East Coast, Declan. We were camping on an island up in the northwest, pretty remote, um, doing an extended stay up there. We knew the forecast wasn't going to be great the next day, uh, and we left the boat anchored in retrospect, on the wrong side of the island. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, we woke up and, yeah, he went for a walk. We checked the boat. I got back in my swag because it was blowing too much to go diving. Um, and then the wind picked up. The next thing I know, I was getting my swag kicked and, uh, and the boat had ended up on the beach, Ooh. on shore, and was getting pounded pretty hard. Um, yeah, filling with sand, filling with water. Yeah, it wasn't ideal. We'd set, a, we'd set what we thought was a pretty good mooring system mm. um, with twin anchors, sort of out on 45s. Uh, and what had happened was one of them had pulled, and once the first one pulled, it slid across and fouled into the second one. Oh, wow. Um, and then that was it. All right. Went straight up the beach, uh, took a few goes uh, in some pretty sort of heavy shore break. The boat was filling with water, filling with sand. Clearing sand out of a bilge pump too is a, a, a bit of a... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, the, build, yeah the bilge pumps weren't keeping up. Um, mm. It was buckets and fish bins and flat out. And we had one crack and gave up and we were 
you know, even went and sat on the beach for a second and thought, what are we going to do here? Uh, wait for a tide, figure it out. Sorry, I'll just get you closer to the mic. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But yeah, went around and had another go and eventually got it off the beach. Yeah, yeah prop right. essentially chewing sand, got around the other side. I don't know, I reckon we, we probably pulled 200 kilos of sand out of that boat. Holy moly. Um, heap of salt water in the fuel system. So any lessons learned? Or what would you do differently uh, in hindsight? Uh, never run a twin anchor mooring system again. <laughs> Everyone talks about like, you know, length of chain and rope and stuff. Have you guys got any rules of thumb for that? Lots. Yeah. Just like, that's different when you're setting up and taking a mooring because you're, you're budgeting on it. Um, and you're carting it and then dropping it off, but just the biggest anchor and biggest, uh, heaviest chain mm. that you can justify taking. But look, we could have avoided that. We knew the forecast. Mm. We could have moved it to the other side, but we, we were probably a bit smart for our own good. Mm -hmm. Thought that we had it covered. Sometimes when you're coming off those reef systems, like I've been camping on one overnight, like you'd know it, um, Southern Great Barrier area, and then you, you're coming out of the reef to avoid the squall or the storm that's rolling in, and Spiros and even line fishermen, we've got the shittest anchor lights, and and I don't know why. It's like the one that matters too, yep. and like you can't even see them, particularly when you got like up and down seas, yep. and they they look like they're further away than they are, and like moving in a, at night time in a in a in just a normal Spiro boat is a nightmare. Yeah, particularly if you've got a lot of boat traffic around. I don't know what it's like around here, but nah, we're pretty lucky. We don't have. There's, there's not much boat traffic, particularly if you're in the good spots. Mm. Yeah, the less the better. But um, I always ran a, a pretty good size solar uh, anchor light yep. on my boat, mainly just so that you could stick your head out of your swag and go, oh, yeah, still there, good. I'll <laughs> go back to sleep for another hour and check it again. Yeah, righto. Yeah. A nervous night's sleep when you're the skipper, oh, when you're the captain. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there's a bit of a gag there for everyone. Um, so... Um, the other thing I really wanted to pest you about was tagging. Um, we had a little bit of a brief chat, like you told me you tagged something interesting last week. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've tagged everything you said from tiny seahorses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe not seahorses, yeah. but you see you like every spectrum, like from, from your large mammals to like yeah, I've been, sharks. Yeah, really lucky through work. Um, spent a lot of years doing a lot of lobster research so there's a mountain of spaghetti tags out there um, that I did and then yeah lucky enough to end up we did a humpback whale program for that ran for four years I think they're becoming less and less popular now yeah due well, to their numbers like exploding numbers well the numbers were the reason yeah that kicked off because they were starting to entangle uh, in crayfishing gear more and more um, and as sort of part of their fishery they've got to be mitigating the amount of entanglement and negative interaction they're having. So we did some sat tagging to look at pathways up and down the coast mm. um, and how that would feed into regulations and gear. And it actually worked really well uh, in the long term. They've reduced their entanglement rate. Okay. Yeah, by loads. But uh, so that's done, just... done it so well that I don't have to shoot any more whales. Oh, wow, that'd be awful. But, uh, but it was a good gig, run around on the front of the boat with a big gas gun and a satellite tag. Mm. Oh, so you're not in the water with them? You're doing it off the boat? Nah, they won't let you get in. There's, yeah. there's certain risk assessments. That one just doesn't fly. I can't imagine you being real popular with a family of humpbacks when you shoot one with a tag. It's funny, hey? You, uh, they barely notice at times. Half oh, wow. of them, 
you, you put a 12-inch stainless tag into one mm. with a little aerial off the back, and half of them don't even realise they've been shot. But then if you hit them with a biopsy uh, little dart, it seems to ripple more on their skin, okay. and that'll make them flick and kick. So they don't have a lot of nerves, you think? I mean... Uh, that's one... Ex like, that's an explanation I've been given, is that their nerve endings are more spaced out. Yeah. Um, and so, therefore, you're less likely to be hitting one as it goes in. Mm. Um, How do they defend themselves against great whites? Because, like, there's, you know, there's that old chestnut that, you know, great whites will follow the migration and stuff and pick off the, the weak and the calves. But, um, yeah. I, I don't, I was, I was I don't think the whites, uh, from, from my take on it, I don't think the whites ever actively attack them. Okay. Yeah. I've been on an entangled one with my head over the side trying to sort out the entanglement hmm. and had a good size white roll in and come and have a look. And this humpback's, you know, it's anchored by a heap of big octopus gear. Um, if you're a white, that's as easy a shot as you get. Yeah. Still too much risk. It did five minutes elapse yeah. and just kept going. A lot of people aren't aware of how risk averse big sharks are. Like, um, I mean, with, with tagging them, is that hard? Um, well, yeah, it's a different thing. Again, they, you know, using baited drums, you hook them up and, and oh, wear yeah. them out. I've been, yeah, fortunate enough to help those guys out a bit. Uh, and then, yeah, get them alongside, rope them up and turn them over so that they become passive. And then, yeah, they're, they're running surgical acoustic tags and mm. pop-off satellite tags. Uh, and then, yeah, cut them free after that. Far out. That'd be so. What's the survival rate? Uh, like, if they, if they, if you get a big shark and they, they, they go nuts for a, a prolonged period of time, do they overheat? Do they are they at risk of, um, you know, not not surviving like a lot of catch and release species? Uh, I think they're pretty right. Mainly, you, they're you're not getting barotrauma, which yep. is like that's your biggest post-release mortality issue. Um, and those guys are really mindful of. You don't want to be working on that animal when it's too green, but you want to be working on it as soon as possible, just to minimise fatigue. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 pretty resilient. They're pretty amazing. Yeah, they're a big scary animal. Um, have you been in the water much with with big sharks? Uh, I've seen one white in the water, um, locally off here, hmm. um, when we've been diving. Um, but that's it for whites. All the others, yeah, bucket loads of big tigers, but. They're generally pretty, pretty friendly. Mm. In Sydney recently, like um, I did a live interview down there, and their spearfishing community has been dramatically affected by that ocean swimmer. That like, there's no doubt about it. He got eaten alive. Yep. Like it wasn't a mistaken identity. That shark came back and and proper ate him. It's really yeah. a dramatically affected spearfishing there. A lot of new people were just all of a sudden found another hobby, um, which is understandable. Um, with the recent attack here. How do the ripples work in this sort of part of the world? How does it affect the community? And, and what's your sort of feel on the situation over here? I think the dive community is maybe a little more accepting of it these days. We had a big run of attacks, um, like white attacks, maybe eight years ago. Mm. Uh, and that made big ripples. Lots of people got out of scuba diving. Lots of people backed off on their spearfishing. Uh, and then it slowly sort of trickled back in. Um, but yeah, we've you know we've had some pretty unfortunate ones mm. in the last few years, but people seem to be well, within the more keen spearer community more accepting of the risk. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
given the you know close nature of this poor bugger up north getting attacked by the bull shark, um, I'm a little wary to talk um, mitigation strategies. Um, however, it does sort of you can't really talk about it without talking about mitigating the risk. How, how, what's your guys' process diving different parts of WA? and encountering different species. Have you got rules of thumb? Have you got systems that you follow in order to make sure you don't get attacked by sharks or to minimise that chance? Um, not a huge amount, to be fair. Uh, if, you know, if the visibility is really poor and we're seeing really aggressive sharks, mm. yeah, we'll, we'll just pull the pin and move on. Um, but we generally push the envelope pretty hard in most places. Okay. Um, yeah, unless something's giving you that behaviour that you think, nah, this is probably not worth it. Um, yeah. So uh, for a lot of experienced spirits, this sounds like just bread and butter stuff. But um, talk about some of those warning signs then. Oh, like swimming around a lot more erratically, fins down, um, you know, making runs at you as a diver. Yeah, it, it, it's all dependent on the scenario. Like I've I've had a couple of ones which could have gone pretty wrong. One we didn't realise at the time, but we were near an old um, whale jawbone that was still a bit fluffy out at the Abrolhos. Wow. Um, but we were swimming through an inner lagoon, and I had a, a black tip come roaring in and just eat the end of the gun straight away um, and go absolutely bananas and didn't understand why until half an hour later we found there was probably a bit of scent coming off this jawbone that had created that. So you, you're a proponent of this idea that sharks have a modes of behaviour and sometimes when they're on that food pathway that all of a sudden everything becomes a target or, 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 or they're more aggressive? Yeah, I think there's just le different levels of aggression. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, you you just got to read where they're at and how many of them there are and and what you you know, if you've got a lot of big aggressive sharks, you know, I'm not going to be shooting a fish in front of them unless it's a 41 kg cobia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The risk reward. Yeah. 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 Yeah, dispatching fish, I think, really quickly, like most spiros know it. You know, you pull them in, you dispatch them as quickly as possible, and, like never let them kick around. Like um, A lot of people still hear that old chestnut, like, um, you know, sharks can smell like one one uh, mil of, of blood in an Olympic swimming pool, and we all know that it's movement that draws them more than, yeah, than blood. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be more worried about the fish that's shaking around. Mm. Um, creating attention. Do you use any shark deterrent devices or do you uh, have any um, beliefs that you would share about any of them on the podcast uh, as a fisheries officer and a captain? Researcher, no fisheries officer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you work for a fisheries, fisheries researcher, yeah, yeah. sorry. Um, no, I've worn the shark shields a lot over the years for okay. work scuba. Um, I just, I've never figured out how to swim well with them on i get zapped did you try seeker flexing them down the in the channel of your fin no nah, because i want to use that fin without one later yeah, yeah you could like you could cable tie it or sicker it or all those different options mm. but um but yeah i makes you popular with dive buddies too yeah yeah, yeah. i bet yeah no i just don't enjoy um the zap yeah but that being said if i lived um somewhere in far southern australia with a large white population 
Mm. If I was going to be in the water regular, I'd be wearing one. Yeah, right. But I, but for spearfishing, even around here, I don't. Yeah, cool. Dude, you're killing it on the Noob Spiro podcast. Every guest you get on frosts on the spearing life, and the actionable info is off the chain. Over here at Spearing Magazine HQ, it's the same, buddy. So many noobers are submitting their adventures, lessons learned, and pictures here at spearingmagazine.com. Just wanted to say that uh, noobers can get an international subscription here at spearingmagazine.com. They can also check out our In the Face Apparel or getting a subscription to the world's greatest spearing magazine. Check it out at spearingmagazine.com. Shrek, thanks. Love what you're doing. Jeremy out. Friends, check out oldmanblue.com.au. It's quality made dive gear right there in the Western Australia by a really cool team. The Old Man Blue team are a very experienced bunch of frothing spiros that live the life and have done so for a number of years. Check it out at oldmanblue.com.au. In the world of freedive spearfishing, there's no magic breathing technique that's all of a sudden going to get you down and shoot massive fish at depth and holding big bottom times. But there is a way to do it safer and smarter, take down more fuel to maximize the time that you have there. Learn at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted with Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving. If you take down more fuel, you can stay for longer. Learning to take a bigger breath is not such a big deal. Ted breaks it down for you with a free online course at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. Take down 20 to 30% more air just by learning how to take a full breath. Again, learn how to do it free at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. Scary stuff. I know you had a maybe a cave story to share. Yeah, a couple of years ago we were diving. Um, we get a really good run of craze. Um, sort of November, December, whites run, and really abundant. Everyone gets out there, gets their cra- like craze for Christmas, loads up, freezes suddenly get full, there's pots everywhere, the boat ramps are mayhem, um, and it's demersal closure, so there's nothing else to do, so everyone just goes ham on the craze. Um, so we were just doing that. A couple of mates had flown back in from up north who were FIFO, and we're just itching to go get a feed. And the weather wasn't particularly great, um, but I had my boat, took it in, ran out the front of work, and we went and dived a few spots, and I had a cave that uh, oh, we always knew it was potentially probably a bit dangerous um, that I'd been diving for a while. Uh, it's like into the top of the reef, had a little opening, maybe the size of a wheelie bin, a bit of weed that washes back over the top of it so you can barely tell it's there. Uh-huh. Um, and then it goes and opens up into two big rooms and has a tunnel that shoots off sort of pops out in a gutter 15 metres away one side and you can run around a corner and into this other big room and, yeah, it's... Um, Sounds awesome. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like an awesome bit of structure. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, but it's, it's really common for this part of the world to have big, hollow limestone country, um, but this was particularly big and just out the front and local. But I was aware that when you went round the corner into one of these, you get obscured from absolutely any light source coming back. Um, and there's room to maybe get disorientated in there. Uh, and we talked about it that day because those guys hadn't dove it before. And I explained the layout to them and where it was. And we dove it a few times, got a few craze, went over, got some other stuff, um, and then came back towards the boat. Uh, and we're doing a few last dives on it. And 
just the three of us breathing up one at a time, going in. Uh, and one of the guys went in, and he looked good diver, great breath hold on him, really competent. Uh, hadn't been in there overly long, and a few bubbles filtered up through the top of the reef. Mm. Uh, and something in my head, having originally sort of started out diving on the east coast, was like, oh, he's probably just kicked it and blown a bit of a pocket off the roof. Yeah. But we've got limestone. That doesn't happen. It's just porous. It goes straight through. Um, and I, I looked at the other guy, and he looked at me, and we sort of exchanged a glance and thought about it. And then five metres further away in the reef, some more bubbles came through. We thought, oh, this isn't great. Uh, and the guy on the surface next to me took a dive and headed straight for the opening um, of the top of the cave. And probably 15 metres off on an angle where there's a bit of an edge of a reef, uh, the guy who was in there popped out where I didn't think you could get out. Shit. Um, and turns out you couldn't because he popped out to his waist and wedged. And we could see from the surface as he stuck that he was out. So he was fully blacked out on the bottom. Um, so things weren't going well at this point. Shit. Uh, the guy who just dove down, peeled off and veered over to him, uh, got to him, tried to pull him out, couldn't budge him. Uh, by that stage, I'd got up over on top of him and was just starting to dive down. And, and as I got there, he just pinched his nose and blew a breath into him, which is, that, that's not in any manual. Um, but, yeah, well, I, was, I sort of thought, oh, well, we're, fair enough, you know, we'll figure it out from here. And uh, got down to him and managed to, you know how awkward your fins are to get your feet flat on the ground. Mm. Sort of swung my feet around, got them flat behind him and got my arms in under his armpits. Mm. And, yeah, just got him out of the hole. Um, <laughs> I think he was a bit bruised up and ripped wetsuit and worse for wear for it. Um, but he made it to the surface. Yeah, well, I got him to the surface, yeah. yeah. Well, just before I did it, I realised I was still carting like a bag full of craze and diving <laughs> and all sorts of crap. And I just went, probably don't need these right now. Yeah. Drop them. Um, but, yeah, got him to the top. Fortunately, the boat was probably only like 50 metres away. Um, wind was fairly howling, popped his mask off. Um, was just sort of about to say, you know, like we better blow across his face to wake him up, and then I realised 25 knots subtly is probably going to do that. Yeah. Um, but saying their name can still have a bit of a benefit too. Yeah, I, I'm probably a bit hazy on that. I, I imagine I was talking to him at the time. Yeah. Um, as we got closer to the boat, so all right, well, you know, you get in the, I'll get in the boat. You pass him up to me. Boat's bouncing away, thinking this isn't going to go well. Um, at which point. He came, came around. Oh, wicked. Yeah, yep. Um, you know, not much memory of anything. Uh, we obviously looked pretty white-faced because first thing was an apology. Um, but, yeah, good enough to get himself in the boat. Uh, did night in hospital, salt water on the lung, not badly, but okay. they just keep you in for OBS and for secondary drowning. How do they treat it? Is, is there anything they do to you with secondary drowning? I don't drowning? think so. Yeah. Um, I th well, I think if you develop it, there's things, but they're more worried about if there's salt water in there. Um, mm. You can, I don't know medically why it happens, but you can sort of foam up mm. um, and then stop oxygen absorption. Um, but yeah, he came out of it all good in the end, but made me question, like I'd been diving that cave a lot 
for a while. Um, made me have a little rethink about what my risk level was and what was all good. Some good takeaways out of it though. Like obviously like you weren't diving solo. He wasn't diving solo for a start. You had a system going. You, oh, you, yeah. There was timing going on. Yep. It was coordinated. So you can get away with a, a higher level of risk because you're following that. That's helping you to sort of minimise that. Um, what else? Torches? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, what made him get disoriented? Did, did you ever work it out? Not properly because his memory's so hazy. Mm. Um, we know he did get a fin wedged between a rock. Uh, he remembers that and thinking, oh, I'll just turn around and just pop this fin off and put it back on again. Um, and not him remembering not being, like, overly concerned about that. Um, and then I think there was just a, a series of things that didn't go right to the point where instead of looking for where he came from, mm. he saw one shaft of light and was like, oh, I'm going out of that. But, you know... Uh, I'm happy he did mm. because if he tried to go back the other way and got it wrong, it, it was it would have taken us multiple dives to get him out, mm. um, and I think it would have probably ended much differently. Yeah, was there a lot of sediment in the cave? Yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's room. You know, you got to move carefully. And yeah, Some, something like with scuba diving, like it, I mean. A lot of sparrows have never been scuba divers, but if you've if you've done scuba diving, you've done wreck diving specifically. You learn all about yep. really bad interaction interactions with sediment. Because um, if it all goes up and you haven't got a line, you're not following a line. It's very easy to get disoriented and you're done. Um, and it's happened to lots of very smart, very capable people. So, um, and we don't generally we're not diving into caves with a line. Um, so, but any other sort of. What, has anything changed in the way you, you guys dive caves as a result of that? Uh, just probably pulled it back a notch, to be honest. Mm. Um, yeah, just just about keeping it well within your limits. Mm. Uh, I guess it's hard, you know, we're, we're always trying to understand what our own limits are. Mm. Um, some of us find them. I'd prefer not to. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, yeah, look. It's just crows. They're not that important, are they? Nah. Nah. But uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's a that's a heavy that's a heavy one. But a, but a good outcome. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great outcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, have you yourself been wedged in a cave before? Um, to the point of where you get that panic moment. I've had it a few times, and it's just like I haven't oh. really had the panic. I was pretty lucky. I started out work scuba diving, mm. um, and like scuba fish collecting and uh, touch wood, I'm, I'm really comfortable in the water. I mm. don't get that panicky feel. But, um, but yeah, what, one of the guys I cray dive with a bit is in the crowd. Mm. Um, we've been known to know that there's a, a, a tunnel that you can go in and get crays out of, but you'll need help to get back out. <laughs> so the plan is, you know, like, give me 45 seconds and come get me. Yeah. A lot of cray diving is just bomb diving, isn't it? Like you're not holding hectic bottom time. You, you, you're working hard, and sometimes it's shorter surface intervals, and, and a lot of shallow diving. Yeah. Um, when you're diving a system of three for crays, do you guys have a do you, do you just sort of one after the other scouting until you find a decent bit of structure with holding crays, and then you sort of have turns at going. Yeah, into- often, particularly with the shallow crays, unless you're going into really deep caves, you're just moving as a group, and uh, someone will go down scout. And if they've got enough breath, they might loop that cray. Or if they see some off to a side, they'll pop up 
and, you know, do some hand signals in that way over to the right. You'll find them. A lot of old school divers still like love diving solo. This is another real massive benefit of diving in a team. Not only do you get rescued if you black out, but it makes for more effective like like fishing too. Yeah, I think once you build up that um, understanding and partnership with someone, mm. I think jumping in with someone new that you mightn't have that chemistry with, you can go, oh, "Gee, I just prefer to be on my own right now." Yeah, you're a bit of yeah. a, you're a bit of a hassle, um, and I've been guilty of that. Yeah. Like, I'll, you know, at times, particularly if we're doing shallow stuff, mm. we'll, we'll knowingly just motor off on our own to cover a bit of ground. So there's, there's a big conundrum there because obviously we've got a lot of, like, there's always a lot of inexperienced divers that are and in position to dive with and they don't know that. But when you've been going a while, uh, diving with new divers is a, is a gift. And, and, and it, like, so how, how do you work that out? How do you give your time to them and how do you structure it so you're still having fun? Um, do you allow the club and instructors to help shape them? How do you help people through this difficult yeah, journey of... That's probably why spearfishing can be regarded as a bit clicky. Yep. Um, yeah, because people get limited days off. We've all got busy lives and when you go, if you can do it with um, your established mates who you know how you dive and you know how they dive, probably going to have a better day yeah just more enjoyable and it can be a bit selfish that way mm. um a lot of the old timers seem to later on get a lot more generous with mm. their time about bringing people through mm. um which is good or uh or as soon as they get to that age where they've got seems to pivot for a lot of the people that have have got to the point where their kids are starting to dive yeah um it becomes more about uh, helping other people rather than just the pure pursuit of Yeah, the objective of the day changes a lot um, yeah. and suddenly their diving changes a lot and, yeah, look, I probably haven't helped a newbie out for a little while lately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, this is just about guilting you out yeah. and uh, getting you along. I'm sure they'd love to have the pre presence of Captain Finn Rushworth <laughs> down there at the club uh, <laughs> taking some newbies out. That'd be good. Um Awesome. Um, funny stuff. You, you, you've got an established group of dive buddies. You're a bit of a cheeky bloke yourself. I'm sure you've had some funny times out. Oh, uh, you like a poo yarn. I do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Everyone no. knows it too now. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what's wrong with me, but it, like I'm 40 now and it's, I'm still doing the same poo. Uh, it's classic material. It is. Yeah. Um, one of the older blokes around the club that... Um, he lives out of town now. I used to dive with him a bit more. But there was a few of us that were diving pretty regularly. Mm. Um, and in proper sort of WA fashion, you'd anchor up on a bit of reef and everyone would drift out the back in the current but be working. Not a huge area, but everyone's down current of the boat. Uh, and so whenever anyone felt the urge to go, they'd make the habit of swimming up current, getting on the boat, and then releasing a school <laughs> of brown blind mullet. <laughs> And then just seeing if you could score a direct hit. <laughs> That's like advanced battleship. You remember that old board game we used to play? Yeah. Wow, I like it. Yeah. That's yeah. good. I never witnessed a really good direct hit, but I, I, I saw one that was within an inch of the mask. <laughs> with a lot, of, with a lot of reeling back out of the way. <laughs> oh. I just love a functional and simple spear gun that I can trust when I pull the trigger. Killshot Spear Guns utilize the finest of kiln-dried Burmese teak. Killshot Spear Guns also combine American-made parts and fine craftsmanship to bring you accurate, 
reliable, and simple spear guns that you can trust. Fish after fish. Get $30 off any Killshot Spear Gun at KillshotSpearGuns.com. Yes and amen, Uber. That's $30 off American-made performance spear guns at KillshotSpearGuns.com. I'm really sorry for this terrible accent. Brought to you by Ed Martin at KillshotSpearGuns.com. Equalizing problems can be something that derail you. Not today, my friend. Go to freedivingfamily.com. Check out the, either the Frenzel and Advanced Frenzel video or the Mouthful and Deep Frenzel Equalization course at freedivingfamily.com. You can use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. These courses are put together by Adam Stern and a select team of, of, of legends and to help you overcome different issues and help you perform better. And some of them are extremely relevant for freedive spearing. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Hey guys, unfortunately the battery died on my handy recorder in store here. Massive thanks to Wei Chong who managed to spot it and get new batteries in and get it going again. And also a big thanks to Lauren there at the Adreno Perth store. Um, as usual with Noob Sprout, there's sometimes some small technical difficulties. Basically this next section it takes up and Vin is chatting, Captain Vin is chatting all about fish scale taxidermy. So it's basically a four stage process. Um, you may have seen the finished product. It's basically, you know, a fish skull and it looks just immaculate and people like to put them on their walls or on their shelves and uh, really sort of make something special out of a really memorable fish. Now, so fish skull taxidermy, four steps. Stage one is flesh removal, stage two is degrees, stage three is whitening, stage four is assembly. Now, the conversation takes back up again. If you do want some more detail on how to do this, go to the show notes, uh, noobspiro.com forward slash Captain Vin, and Vin has um, sort of sent us out uh, a breakdown of how he does it from from start to finish. But um, let's take back up into the convo there live at the Perth Adreno store. Again, thanks, Wei and Lauren. So you don't apply any lacquer or? Uh, you can spray it afterwards if you wanted to hit it with like a, a clear satin boat lacquer afterwards okay. to try to seal it. You could for sure. Yeah. Um, I've done that. Seems to work well. Okay. But yeah, and then just once it's dry enough, assemble. You Get might need a little bit out. of wire for the corners of a couple of major bits. Because um, they don't fit back together like they sort of came apart in the first place. Uh, oh, just those major joins, you either need a little bit of wire or you need a big blo like blob of hot glue right. just to get them to hold. Um, Any particular glue, like a, hot, like a hot glue gun type, that sort of stuff? Like yeah, little hot glue gun's great for the bigger right. bits yep. and the rest of it, um, just super glue. Cool. And the super glue's quick. Cool. Yeah. I wish we had a photo of one of, the, uh, one of your better ones. Yeah, yeah, and maybe one of your shit ones would be funny too. Actually, oh, can I? Can I? Can you send me a few and I'll put them in the show notes yeah, so sure. people can have a look. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be uh, noobspirit.com forward slash vin, and that'd be cool to have a bit of a look at some of the finished results. Um, have you got? I, I know you told me you also had a document of sort of your process for it. Was that this one? Yeah, I've got some rough notes because a few people were asking me pretty regularly at one yeah. point there. So yeah, I've got. I got some rough step by steps. I could probably improve it a lot with a bit that I've learned off the museum guys since, but 
Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe we can link that up too if we if we have time. Yep. Between all your comps and children and job and all the other stuff, we'll just get that done too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, a it's a rugged old life. Yeah, and the other one I've done a bit of um, is doing craze or crustaceans, which is that's much more chemical intensive. That's just formalin, formaldehyde. Uh, you can get that off a bulk chemical supplier. Why are you using formaldehyde for it? Because you've got to cure the tissue, whatever's left inside it. Yeah. Um, some guys will flesh out a cray, like try and completely clean it up and reassemble it. Mm. Um, but you can use it as a fixative and just do the whole animal. Okay. Um, but yeah. So you just soak it in it? Yeah, you need a, a big hypodermic and inject it into oh, wow. every corner and crack and bit that you can get at. But that's like, realistically, that stuff's pretty nasty. You want, yeah. a, you want a fume hood or a couple of big fans and some real exposed open area. Cool. Yeah. Mm. Um, have you done a, have you done a, I remember seeing one of your craze on your Instagram, I think it was like 4.3 kilo or something. Is that your biggest? Yeah, yeah, that's, that one was 4.15. Okay. Yeah, that's. I was trying to touch up wood, it. that's still, up still our state record for now. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I've heard they do grow a little bit bigger, but they're often caught out wider. Uh. Yeah, they definitely get bigger. I know one fellow that probably should have actually weighed his properly. Okay. Yeah. You just took his record and screwed it up and threw it in the Threw bin. it away. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. No, we can't have them replacing Captain Vin Rushworth's record. How many records have you got? Uh, I don't know. Really? Yeah. Wow. It's not mountains, but I, I don't know what the number is. Yeah, yeah, there's a few. But, you know, there's there's some stuff in there that other people probably wouldn't pick up just because... They don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that, cool. That though. little twin spot cod that you would have swum over. Yeah. Actually caught my eye. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's sort of having a knowledge of what's available. Yeah. So research is a big part of taking records? Um, depends what, you, what you're aiming to achieve. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't think it is for most people. Mm. They're, they're just out there to enjoy their day. Um, and if they happen to get what they feel is an exceptional fish, they'll check it against the record book and if it's worth claiming they'll claim it yeah some people get right down the rabbit hole of wanting to collect them all yeah right um i've seen a few that have like had a couple of aggressive years like where you see record after record and then they just you know like life takes over and they they haven't submitted one for a long time yeah yeah i think i guess that's the thing you know people get different things out of diving yeah for sure i know trevor's always on the lookout for every little parrot that he can get his hands on oh yeah, he mounts them too. Like, yeah, um, get some fully done, cast and painted, and they look they they, they can look really good if if done well. Yep. But um, yeah, after looking at Mick McDade's house too, like far out, that guy's he's done a lot of stuff. Um, I wanted to ask you two more sort of lots of questions, and then we'll go to an audience Q and A if that's cool. Sure. Um, someone will kill me if I don't ask you what your sort of day to day equipment is. Some people just froth on gear. Yeah. What is your sort of go-to dive gear from head to toe? Um, I got some Carbonio GFT fins, yep. which I've been running for a few years. Um, yeah, they're really nice. I like them. I don't know, whatever dive socks don't have too many holes in them. I got sold a pair today, and they've got like a, a fleece lined into them. I put them on, I was like, oh, this is a little bit fancy. Yeah, I need a but, new pair before I leave. Yeah, check them out. I don't, it's not a shameless plug. I don't have nothing to do with them, but they're an ocean hunter one with a plush lining in them. Yep. 
and uh, I put them on. I think I can spend six hours in them in the water, so I'm going to do that. One of the boys sold them to me. I think maybe he got a commission from them or something. So. No doubt. Yeah. So dive socks, what about your suit? Uh, mainly just Barry's Aussie Real suits. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah like he's the local bloke. I like to support him. Baz mm. has always been good to us over the years, so yeah. run those. I do have a, a, a really nice smooth skin polo sub I just started using for winter with the piss tube, which yeah. is a bit of a luxury. Yeah. Um, I've been harassing the Aussie Real guys to start putting piss tubes on their suits just for a laugh. Yeah. It's not, it's not widely adopted here, like. It still seems like a European thing, but for those of us that have sat on long car trips with people that reek of urine, um, they all of a sudden take on a level of appeal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're definitely early adopters. I, I think give it a decade and, yeah. That'd be a good gift for your mates, actually, for Christmas too. That'd, uh, that'd make their spouses laugh too. Someone's, one of the companies must sell like an iron on one. They do, they do. They are up there, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And you could make some nasty jokes with it too, I reckon. <laughs> hey guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Captain Vin. Uh, I had an absolute blast. If you want to visit the show notes, see a whole bunch of awesome uh, pictures, follow Vin on Instagram, go to noobsparrow.com forward slash Captain Vin and jump on there and... Um, follow along have a look at some of his photos he's um shot some cracker fish and very interesting guy i feel like i barely even scratched the surface today but this episode happened because of a patron listeners there's 50 of them putting fuel in the noobsboro outboard keeping us going i uh, really appreciate it they paid for this entire wa trip there's three episodes to come the next three are from the legends that i traveled with um bert and Joel and we had had a blast we did a little bit of diving up next month as well so stay tuned for those three coming out over the next few weeks all good that's it for me Shrek over and out today's episode was an absolute banger and so is our major sponsor Adreno visit them at adreno.com.au they have a huge range of equipment you can find it at adreno.com.au use the code noobspear at checkout when you shop online you can save $20 on every purchase over 200 you can even use that code in store at some of their huge mega stores Australia wide price be guarantee on any Australian spearfishing equipment price again visit them at adreno.com.au use the code noobspear the Noob Sierra Podcast is incredibly proud to be partnering with Neptonics.com. It's solid gear that works, equipment you can rely on. It's the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Neptonics is also the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing gear, particularly in the US. They've got free shipping on all orders over $99 in the US. Furthermore, you can use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off on your entire shopping basket at neptonics.com. Use the code noobspirit, neptonics.com. Mm-hmm.